nice surprise for you today, didn't I? Yeah? You know what I was talking about? Yeah. And I, I knew you'd be happy, but I think these two are maybe even more happy than we are. I don't know. Good to have you back. Sometimes, um, I don't know about you, but when we worship and, and praise it just as we have, I just, I get, like, start to have the tears flow. Ever, does that ever happen to you? Show me hands. And today's been one of those days. And God can just touch our hearts deeply. You sing that kind of truth? For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God. It's amazing, amazing things that we, that we are reminded of as we praise God. And, and the power of worship, um, remarkable stuff. Uh, miracle of mercy. Um, I realized this week, I'm, I'm really hoping for big things out of this. And essentially, what I'm hoping is that God, by His Spirit, will open your minds to the powerful truth of mercy. Uh, that, that in the way that only the Spirit of God can work, you will have those moments when you go, ah, and then, whoa. <laughs> you know, the ah and the woe, you know what I'm talking about? And I hope you'll be changed by this. So as we gather Sundays and I speak to these issues and we sing about mercy, as, a, as you gather in your small groups, whether it be life groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, our teenagers are studying in their small groups, the miracle of mercy, it's church-wide. Um, yeah, as you do your d daily devotionals out of your manual, you know, you can just be reminded over and over again about the reality of mercy. I hope and I pray to the bottom of my heart that a light will dawn in your mind and you'll come to understand this thing that's easy to say but takes God to reveal. And I hope it'll change your life because it has the power to do that. We're talking about who God is, essentially. And so often we need that understanding of who God is uh, changed and developed and made, uh, made whole. Let me pray before we jump in. Gracious God, uh, we... We praise you today. We, we even thank you for this, this time of praise where we've been able to sing from the bottom of our, our hearts our love and our gratitude before you. Thank you for these times when we can meet you uh, here, Lord. And, um, and as we sing to you, so your spirit touches our hearts. Thank you. And we pray now, God, as we look into this incredible book once again that we will understand that our minds will be opened, that the truth will reach deeply into our hearts so that we can grasp who you are. So bless us, Lord, as a church. Bless us in this campaign. Bless us here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about something really fantastic this morning. I can just, I can just feel it in my bones that as soon as I tell you what we're going to talk about in particular regarding mercy today, you're going to go, yeah. Here it is. You ready? We're going to talk about failure. <laughs> yeah, being there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Haven't we all been there? I want to tell you, we're going to talk about failure, and we're going to talk about how out of failure something incredible can emerge. That's the good news. With Jesus, there's always good news, right? It's always gospel in the end of the day. I know every one of you has failed more times than you can count. I have failed more times than I can count. Many times we fail dramatically. We're going to look at the life of, of, of an individual today who, who I call it his mega failure in life. He was one of the disciples. All the disciples failed on the night Jesus was betrayed. They all ran away, right? 
Some of them failed dramatically. Judas failed and rejected in the end God's mercy, and he killed himself. Took the 30 pieces of silver, couldn't live with himself, ended it. Peter, on the other hand, who is probably the prime example of these disciples in failure, in the end accepted the mercy of God in spite of what he had done, and his life became an incredible and beautiful thing. Guess who we're going to talk about? Peter. Peter. We're going to jump into this, and I just pray again as we, as we really grapple with the reality of, of, of his story, that God will touch you today and teach you about himself and, know, and, and allow you to know what is available in your life. We're going to talk, first of all, what caused Peter's failure? What caused his failure? Um, you know, the, the first thing I want to suggest to you it is, is so obvious and it is so, so clearly taught in the Scripture. The, he, he literally overestimated his strengths and it brought huge failure into his life. Um, and I want to tell you, we can do this too. We're going to draw parallels between ourselves and this man. But I want to read Matthew 26, uh, 31 to 35 to start today. It sets the scene for all that uh, we'll talk about. Um, this is, of course, the night before Jesus was betrayed. This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written... And this is a text, it's a prophecy whereby Jesus was allowed to prophesy. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, you will go, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Note that word never, second time he's used it. And all the other disciples said the same. Um, this man overestimated his capacity to do what he wanted to do. I'll never do that, he says two times. He, he believed in his heart of hearts that he was capable of being faithful to Jesus, of, of, of standing with him in his darkest hour. He believed in his heart of hearts that he was able. And I want to tell you, my friends, a lot of failure came from that very dynamic, that thought, that reality. And if it happened in Peter's life, so too it can happen in ours. And so it does. Oh, I'll never be unfaithful to my spouse. Other people might. I never will. Never. Right circumstance, right circum situation in marriage, right person at the wrong time can happen. You business owners, oh, I'll never go bankrupt. I've got too much, uh, you know, I've, I've got the MBA and I've got the capacity and I've got the experience. I will never go bankrupt. <laughs> You're in a dangerous position if you think that because it can happen to the best of us. I'll, I'll never fail at school. I, I got the smarts. You know, I can go off to university or college and I'm going to succeed because I am able. It'll never happen to me. <laughs> yes, it can. And it certainly could. You see, the reality is we think we can handle these things and the reality is it's not true that there aren't opportunities and situations and dynamics that come into play whereby we can fail just like anybody else. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this. So if you think you were standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You get that? 
You think you got it all together. You think it's never going to happen to me. I'll never deny you. Even if everybody else denies you, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Man overestimated his strength, and he fell. You see, we think we are stronger than we are. We think, I can handle the temptation. I can put myself in that place where I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to be fine, until we find out that we can't handle that place. You know, I can go into that circumstance that is completely dishonoring of God, and, and I can stand strong in my faith, and I'm not going to fall. I, I can listen to the music on the radio that is really counter to the message and the person of Jesus, but it's not going to impact my heart and my mind. It's not going to touch me. It's not going to change me. I can watch the stuff on the big screen. No, it's not going to touch my soul. It's not going to change my view of women or of men. It's not going to influence how I think. It's not going to change me. You know, there's a well-known phrase. I'm going to start it, and I want you to finish it. Garbage in, garbage out. It's, it's real. It's true. And, and it's so often that we put ourselves in those circumstances, and we are deluded, and we think we can manage it, and we think we can handle it, and we don't give the power to, to, to the enemy, and we don't recognize the power of sin and the power of temptation, and it's because we think we can handle it that we're in great danger of falling. Peter did that. I want to tell you the biggest threat to, our, to us failing is not our weakness. Our, our weakness, the biggest threat to us potentially failing is our strength. If I know you, and I think of this in my own life, we guard against our weaknesses. We know where we're weak. We're careful with those, aren't we? But so often we're not careful because we think we're strong. Peter learned the hard way, my friends. Don't let it happen to you. Second cause of his failure was he was afraid of the disapproval of other people. Um, there's something in us that, and there was something in Peter, we just think we have to have the approval of other folks if we're going to be okay. There's something in us that tells us somehow, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to survive this unless other people think highly of us, and we yearn for their approval, and we make decisions based upon what others expect of us. Matthew 26, verse 58, and then we'll jump to 69 to 70. But Peter followed after him at a distance. That in itself is significant. <laughs> he distanced himself from Jesus. Right up to the courtyard of the high priest, he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Jesus is being tried in this place. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Here's a scenario. Peter has been with Jesus for three plus years. He is being called to follow Jesus, to learn from him so as to become like him. That's discipleship. It's not just what goes in the head. It's how we live. And he walked his journey with, with Jesus, and he, he's the man who said with this, in, in this incredible statement of faith, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He has claimed not only faith in Jesus, but a love for him. But when the crisis comes, when push comes to shove, Peter denied the Lord Jesus because he is more concerned with others' perspective of him than with his identity and identifying with Jesus. Have you ever had opportunity to identify with Jesus at work or at school or in your neighborhoods? Say, yeah, I'm his, and chosen not to? Said nothing because you're afraid of what people might think of you? I know that's a loaded question because it's a very real question in a lot of our lives. You see, we fail because we want, 
What, what people think about us is more important than what we think God thinks of us. You know, we too follow Jesus at a, at a distance, and it sets us up for failure. Keep him at a distance. Here's a question for you. Whose opinion matters to you the most? Others or God's? That's a penetrating question. Something for us to process. Too often we fear we can't survive without the approval of the crowd. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs is an incredible book. I hope you dip into it regularly. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Fearing their opinion, fearing what they'll say about you, fearing what they might say to you. But trusting the Lord means safety. Mm. Don't give weight to the opinion of others. And another cause of Peter's failure, very simply, is, and I love this, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you think about Peter's life, you have to stand back and kind of chuckle a little bit because he's such a guy, you know, that, 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 that is guilty of this, if you would. He spoke without thinking. Oh, I'll never deny you. I'll never do that. Even if everything falls away, I'll never do that. Like it, it's like he was speaking his emotion. It's not like he was thinking rationally and speaking out of thoughtfulness. If he had thought a little bit, he might have thought, you know, oh, maybe Jesus is right. Maybe I'm not as strong as I think I am. It's like he, he put his mouth in motion before his mind was put in gear, you know? You know, we, we don't ask God sometimes what we, uh, he wants us to say. We just talk. For Matthew 26, 71 to 74. He went out uh, to the gateway where another servant girl, this is just carrying on from what we just read, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow, fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you way. They were Galileans, right? They had a particular way of speaking, an accent. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, our rooster crowed, and he had failed big time, as they say. Um, you know who speak out of their emotion without thought, and, and we kind of put up with it and we accept it because it's just their stage in life. It's children. Child's angry. You're going to hear about it, aren't you? If somebody's afraid, mommy, I'm afraid, and, and want, they want cuddles. It doesn't matter what their emotion is. They just say it because that's who they are. But adults have to grow up, and they have to start thinking about what they're going to say and then say it. There's got to be a little self-control brought to the process. Otherwise, real damage can be caused. Ever caused damage with your words? Yeah, of course, we all have. And failure can just come because we just speak too quickly without thought. So, so Peter, you know, he made some mistakes. So do we. And here's where we make the turn. What did Peter do right? The turn toward the better part of this message, the good news. What did he do right in the face of this mega failure in his life? <clears throat> First thing that he did with it was he grieved it. Let me read you the next verse based on what we just uh, read a minute ago. Matthew 26, verse 75. Then... The rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
You can feel the pain in the man's heart when he realizes what he's done. You can feel it. See, he didn't minimize, he didn't deny, he didn't rationalize or make up excuses. He felt the pain because, my friends, you have to go through pain in order to get beyond it. That's just a rule for human beings to, to embrace. You know, so often when we have our failures, when these things happen in our lives and we feel badly about it, you know, we might feel guilt or shame or condemnation, things because of mercy we don't need to feel, but we feel them anyway. We want to stuff them down inside us. We just don't want to face that pain. We don't want to feel the pain. It hurts too much. And we just want to push it down into us, somehow expecting that if we do so, we'll just move on and get beyond that failure. I want to tell you, that's like taking a can of pop and shaking it up really, really hard and putting it in your freezer and closing the door. What's going to happen? It's going to explode and it's going to make a huge mess that'll take a long time to clean up. That was Peter. And too often that's us. See, here's, here's the dynamic. We have got to go through our pain. We've got to embrace our pain. We've got to face the reality. And if we have to weep bitterly about what we have done, so be it. Because in that dynamic, it is there that God is at work. And it is there that God will bring healing to us. What do you do after your marriage fails? It's done. You know you're upset and you're troubled. And after a week or so, well, I got I to move on. I just got to stuff this stuff, this feeling down inside me. I can't live. I just got to move on. I got to leave that stuff alone. I have to, a life to live. What happens if you are a business owner and you do go bankrupt? <laughs> Same kind of dynamic it's in play. What happens, and you can fill in the blank, I want to tell you, stuff that emotion down, it highly likely will cause you health problems. It really, you know, heart problems and all kinds of things can happen. But I want to tell you almost definitely it'll cause emotional problems in your life. Anxiety, fear, depression, somehow what's down there will come out. It doesn't remain here. And I want to tell you, if we will allow ourselves to go through good grief, and if we will allow ourselves to feel the pain that ha we have experienced in our lives because of our failure, God will heal us. And you know what that's called? That's called mercy. In spite of the fact that we have blown it, God will come even through our grief, and he will heal the woundedness. He will heal the brokenness that's there. A merciful act of God, giving to us what we do not deserve, what we have not earned. King David, great king of Israel, you know, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, a woman who was married to another man. She became pregnant. He had the other man killed. Uh, he was now a, not an adulterer only, but also a murderer. And in the end of the day, he came to a point of repentance. In Psalm 51, 17, David wrote this. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. You see, God is looking for what? He is looking for a, a humble heart, a contrite heart, a repentant heart. You know, what we have to do is just admit our failure to God and to ourselves. Just admit it. Just tell God. And I want to tell you, he will be merciful to you and he will heal your broken heart and he will move you forward in life in good ways. What else did Peter do right? Well, you're probably going to wonder when I say this, but he allowed his small group to support him. What do you think of that? What small group? Do you have a life group like me? Let me read to you Mark 16, verse 10. Different uh, gospel now, another book in the Bible telling a similar story. Jesus went to the disciples. She went to the disciples, Peter among them, who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. 
she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping. This is the woman who had seen Jesus at the resurrection, told him what had happened. You know, the reality is that even in, after Peter's denial, what did he do? He got together with people who loved him so that he would not be alone. You know, our tendency, and it's so human, when we have a mega failure in life, or even a little one, is to tell nobody about it. We want to isolate ourselves, right? We want to insulate ourselves. We want to keep these things to ourselves so that people don't have to know about us, know about it and we feel shame. You know, you get laid off at work. Well, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. It's embarrassing. You do go bankrupt. I'm never going to tell anybody about that. That is shameful. I'm going to hide this reality. You know, you get entrapped in some kind of sin or you, or you topple into an addiction and you can't break free. You can't shake it. Well, I'm never going to share that, especially at a church. I want to tell you, my friends, if, that's, is, if that is how you have hidden, if that is how you have dealt with your failures in life, you have not discovered the power of Christian community yet. You don't understand it. Sharing failure cuts it in half. It, its power diminishes in your life. In the same way that sharing joy doubles the joy. You, my friends, and this is the Bible so clear in this, you were never intended to do life alone, and you were never meant to suffer failure alone. Basic unit, one of the basic units of the life of a person who follows Jesus is a small group. It's why Peter, after his mega failure, went to the guys that he had been with for years, and he found in them the help and the support that he so longed for. <clears throat> let, me, let me ask you this question. When is it critical to form a group around you such as this or to be part of such a group? The answer to the question is you have to form it before the failure, not after you have to know there's a group of people in your corner who will love you and be gracious to you and will hear about your failure, your sin, your brokenness, and they're not going to reject you because you already trust them and they trust you. The time to form this is not after the fact, it is prior to it. You know, this past uh, June and May and so forth, uh, and I've mentioned this to you before, I, I led, uh, in that Brendan's absence, uh, a bunch of teenagers through profession of faith uh, uh, training, you know, so they could s sit up here and say, hey, I have come to know and follow Christ, and, and he is my Lord, he is my Savior. Stan Cox, who's retired from is now, of course, but he was intended to come and, and to do this session on suffering in life. That trips up a lot of people, right? How do you make sense of it when the failure comes and the brokenheartedness is there? Anyway, Stan came in and he sat down and, and it was, he began with this statement. Every one of you will suffer in your life. It's like, you could almost feel it. A bunch of 18-year-olds. He said, you may have already, I don't know that, but if you haven't, you will. You will suffer. And he jumped into the discussion. Here's my similar comment to you. Every one of you will suffer in the days that are ahead. Some of you have already, I know that. I have. But we will suffer going forward. It's, it's just a reality. It's just, it's part of life for us. And my friends, we need people. We need this God-devised support system in place for those times. I say to you, if you're not, not in a group, get in a group. Make it happen. What else did Peter do on the positive side of things? He cast himself on the mercy of God. First Peter 
1, verse 3, says this. Peter was to go on to write books of the Bible. Quite a guy, this Peter. And he goes through the first two verses as basic salutations. Hey, everybody. Hope, hope you're doing well. Love you. And then, he, and then he jumps in. He says, Praise to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who on earth would understand mercy more than a man named Peter? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Isn't that powerful? I want to tell you, his life wasn't lived in condemnation and shame and guilt and remorse and regret and on and on and on. This man's life was lived in the mercy of God. And he wrote 1 Peter 5, 7, later in that same book. And uh, he simply said this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word cast is a really interesting word in, in the original language. Um, uh, it, it's not talking about like, you know, you, you, you go fishing and you want to cast a lure into the water and reel it in again. You know, you cast. Or you take a, a little light ball and you toss it. You're casting it away. The, the image, the understanding in the word is that this, there is a boulder on your shoulders, this heavy weight that's pressing down on you. And you come into the presence of Jesus and you just drop it at his feet. You, you unload it onto him. You give it to him. And then you walk away and you leave it there because you know he's going to take care of it. That's what this casting our anxiety on him because he, he cares for us is all about. You know, we have to drop our guilt and we have to drop our shame and we have to drop our fear and we have to drop our self-condemnation and we have to drop our regret all at the feet of Jesus. I want to tell you, and we have to receive his mercy. We have to give that away and we have to go to live a life that has lived in mercy. Having received forgiveness from God, having received from God what we cannot deserve what we will never deserve so peter did some things right you know he 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 managed pretty well after the disaster that he walked into i'm going to talk to you just as we move toward the end about the things that jesus did with this casting of concern number one i want to tell you he was not shocked by what peter did I want to say to you right now, this is incredibly important for us as believers, that Jesus knew what, I'm not even going to read it to you again because we've already talked about and read about how Jesus predicted what would happen in Peter's life. He knew it was going to happen. And you know the reality is? He knows too what your failures will be going forward. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. He's go, he knows how often it's going to happen. He is completely and fully aware that you will fail and that I will fail too. But you know, the bottom line is that he loves you anyway and he shows you mercy regardless. Beginning to grasp this God of ours? Jesus knows, like it's no surprise to, to God what you're going to do if you fail tomorrow or this afternoon. He knows already. He doesn't... He, like, is it next week or next year you're going to have that mega failure in your life? Do you think God doesn't know? 
but it doesn't matter in the sense that he's going to love you regardless and he's going to be merciful to you right then, powerfully merciful in your life, giving you forgiveness if you seek it and accept it, and giving you mercy if you are willing to embrace it as Peter did. See, God knows, as the psalmist has written, that we are about dust. He knows that this human nature of ours is his inclination so often towards sin and that we're weak. He knows that sin is a powerful thing and that we have an enemy who tempts us to do what's wrong. And he's willing to show us mercy every time. Undeserved forgiveness. Unearned kindness. What else does Jesus do? He believes in us anyway. He believed in Peter in spite of the mega failure that was coming. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32, listen to this verse. Jesus speaking, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. When you have turned back, when you have repented, when you've come to that place of a humble and a contrite heart such as King David did, here's what you are to do. See, Jesus believes in this guy in spite of his bombastic way, in spite of him talking without thinking, in spite of you know, him believing in his strengths, which sets him up for a terrible failure. Jesus gets all this, but he believes in the man. He believes in him. Proverbs 24, 16. I love this. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I'll just stop at that point. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. You know what I find incredibly, incredibly encouraging about that verse? Is it acknowledges that even righteous men and women fall. Anybody feeling good about that this morning? And that after we fall, we will rise again because of mercy. The mercy given to us by the Lord Jesus and his capacity to take the mess and to pick us up and to move us forward for him. What does Jesus then do? He shows mercy to Peter very simply. You know, he didn't beat Peter up with judgment and condemnation and guilt. He didn't kind of pummel him while he was down. Next time you have a mega failure in your life and you think that's what God's doing, stop yourself because it's not true. John chapter 21 is a, is a great story where just a, probably a week or two after the resurrection, the disciples are gathered on, uh, at the seashore and um, they kind of look at each other and they say, hey, you want to go fishing? And they say, okay, let's go fishing. And it's not a good scenario. They're fishermen. That's what they did most or some of them before they started to follow Jesus. They are reverting to their pre-Jesus condition. They're going back to what life was like before they met Jesus and were transformed by him. They're discouraged, likely maybe even depressed. Think about Peter. And they go out and they fish all night and they catch nothing, which is sort of odd because some of them are professional fishermen, right? Um, and Jesus comes at dawn and he stands. This is the resurrected Jesus. And he stands on the shore and he calls out to them, put your net on the other side of the boat. And for some reason, these guys did it. I mean, if it had been me, I said, like, who is that guy? They didn't first realize it was Jesus. And they said, we've been fishing all night. There's no fish in the water. Why would? But they did it. It's good. It's positive. And they got this huge haul of fish. And one disciple says to Peter, I think that's Jesus. Peter jumps in and he swims to shore. Um, 
And this is what we read, John 21, verses 9 and 12. When they landed, they saw a... And then, of course, the rest of them come in with the, the fish and so forth. But when they all landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord because of the way the Lord was acting toward them. Question for you. If your best friend in your darkest hour, in your most difficult time in life betrayed you, would you cook them breakfast? It's, it's simple, isn't it? Would you be kind to them? Would you meet, care for their needs? Would you even want to be with them? Jesus cooking breakfast for the disciple was a powerful expression of mercy. Undeserved kindness. Completely undeserved kindness. Is your vision of God growing? Are you seeing something you haven't seen before of him? See, this, this, this kindness of God that just keeps coming through, even in their betrayal of him in his darkest hour, he loved them. I want to tell you, my friends, I've told you before, and I'll tell you till, till I stop preaching, God loves you, and his love of you is not dependent on your performance. It never has been, and it never will be. He loves you. And he is so eager and passionate to give you mercy, kindness that's undeserved. All you have to do is accept it, embrace it, live in it. Lamentations. I don't refer to lamentations very often. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Because the Lord of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's my contention. A lot of us don't think clearly and truthfully about the reality of who God is. God's compassion and love for you, they are endless. They are new every morning. His faithfulness in your life will never cease. He will never give up on being merciful toward you and forgiving you and loving you. It doesn't matter why your failure. It doesn't matter how deep the failure. It doesn't matter if it's the mega failure of your life. This is God. And it's incredible news to be understood and believed and then to be lived in. Last thing going to note about what Jesus did is he uses Peter's failure to build his church. Luke 22, 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, again, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, when you have repented, when you have received my mercy and learned to live in it, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. I want to tell you that's an incredibly significant thing. You see, after this, let's go back to the story of breakfast by the seashore. Jesus sits down with Peter, and Jesus asks Peter three questions in a row. Three times he says, 
Do you love me? It's getting at Peter's heart now. That's what he cares about. You might have blown at Peter, but do you love me? Three times he asked the question because three times Peter denied him. I think he's being incredibly gracious and even merciful in this and asking Peter. I think it's a healing moment for him. It's a restoration of him to eliminate and move beyond his three denials. Each time, Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. Yes, I love you, Lord. The third time, he gets frustrated and says, Lord, you know I love you, which is probably true. But every time Peter said in response to the question, do you love me, uh, you know, yes, I love you, yes, I love you, yes, I love you, then Jesus responded to each of those three replies with these three comments, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, take care of my feet, my sheep, feed my sheep. My friends, again, here is mercy. The mercy of God being poured upon this man's life. He's being given a second chance. Remember, understand this, Judas, who also betrayed Jesus, rejected God's mercy, and he killed himself. Couldn't live with it. Peter, in the end, accepted this mercy of Jesus and became the leader, along with James, of the Jerusalem church and the leader of this fledgling Christian movement that would change the world and still is. I want to say this to you, my friends. God, this is applying this truth now to ourselves, God only uses failed people to build his church. And I want to tell you, that's mercy. That's just mercy. And God wants to build his church through you. As a matter of fact, my experience says to me that sometimes, I'm being qualified here, but it's my experience, sometimes the people who build the church most profoundly, whose lives impact the church most deeply, are those people who have failed the most. Because they have come to a place, as Peter did, where they open up their lives to the mercy of God and they experience this God. Their understanding moves to that place where they know that they are forgiven for what they don't deserve to be forgiven and they're experiencing the kindness of God in ways that they will, will never able to earn it. And they are blown away by the reality of God. And you know what people do whose lives are blown away by the reality of God? They say, Lord, sign me up. You've established this church, this church, the church, to change the world, to bring the kingdom of God, God's justice and love and grace and power to transform the world. You've established the church to bring the kingdom of God. Sign me up because I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to show mercy like you showed me mercy. I want other people to know that they can be forgiven. And I, want to know, I, want, I want to be part of something so that people who have experienced mega failures in life can move beyond them. I want them to know you and your ever faithful compassion and love. I'm going to conclude today with two questions. <clears throat> Number one, I want you to personalize this. I want you to think about this. I want you to take it home. Spend this Lord's Day thinking about it, would you? Number one, what failure have you had in your life that God wants to use to build his church? You understand it's your failure that can qualify you dramatically for incredible influence in the church of Christ for success. You know, if you had a marriage failure, couldn't you help people who are struggling to, uh, to save their marriage to do so? 
or people who have gone through divorce and are grieving their griefs to help them along and understand the healing power of God? If you have had a business go under in bankruptcy, can you help people avoid that? Or again, if it's happened to them, help them make their way through the shame and, and embrace the mercy of God and find this life that's ahead of them, such as Peter shows us? You know, this goes on. You know, are, are you one who's caught up in addiction and, and you've dealt with it and you've overcome it by the power and the grace and the mercy of God? Can you be the person that helps, helps in other people struggling with addiction to discover that freedom? Can you help people who are dabbling with substances and you can see what's happening in their lives in a way they can't see what's happening in their lives in terms of direction and potential outcome? Can you intervene and be the hand of God, the voice of God, the love of God to make a difference there? If you've been abused, can you help the abused? If you've been abandoned and betrayed, can you help the abandoned and betrayed? You get my point? Sign me up, God. God wants... My friends, listen to this, to turn your greatest failure into your greatest success. Isn't that amazing? Don't waste your failure. <laughs> don't live in it. But after you get beyond it, don't waste it. Use it for God. And then the second question is this, are you going to respond? <clears throat> this is the ultimate question of today's talk, to your failure like Judas or like Peter. You know, you can choose death. You can fail big time. <laughs> I don't like that phrase, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You, can have, you can have this huge failure in life, and you can dwell in it for the rest of your days. And, and, and you can choose death emotionally and spiritually and maybe even physically. You have that capacity. Or like Peter, you can choose life, and you can choose hope, and you can choose grace, and you can choose love. Because you choose mercy and receive it from God. I'm going to go back to, just to finish off. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wrote the great failure named Peter. But he didn't live there, and he didn't allow himself to be identified in that fashion. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because Christ came, because he died, because he rose again to new life to be the Lord of us all. He, the merciful one, stands before us today and he says, let me show you mercy and let me give you life filled with hope and opportunity. Move beyond guilt and shame. Embrace forgiveness, undeserved. Receive my kindness in your life. Live your life as I have died and been raised again to new life so that you might know it. My friends, I say to you, choose life. Choose hope. Choose opportunity. Choose grace. Receive in your life the mercy of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize today that uh, we have failed. We have had mega failures in our lives, every single one of us. And, you know, we've, over, we've overestimated our strengths and we've fallen and we've prioritized the opinion of other people and we've distanced ourselves from you as a result, God. We have talked without thinking and hurt people. Today, Lord, just as Peter did at one point, we come into your presence. Um, and we admit that we have sinned. 
each of us in our own way. We have, we have failed. But today, Lord, we come with humble and contrite hearts. We come repentantly and we just ask, Lord God, for your forgiveness. Forgive us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Here and now, Lord, we receive your mercy. Unearned forgiveness, undeserved kindness. We accept who you are versus who we have thought you to be. We recognize that you are a God of love and of compassion and mercy and of faithfulness, and these things never end. They are new every morning and available to us. So we say, yes, Lord, we believe. We believe. So, Lord Jesus, forgive us for that, that failure. Don't let it define our lives anymore. Let your mercy and your grace and your love and your faithfulness define our lives and help us to move forward, having cast that care upon you, having un unshouldered the burden of guilt and shame. Today, Lord, we give it to you and we leave it with you and we walk into the future with you, our Lord of mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus that you are faithful. Thank you that you believe in us. Thank you that you will use us and we pray that you will, that the world might know the truth of who you are, that others might find the forgiveness that you offer, that others might live in the mercy, the mercy that you have now given to us. Lord, use us as we live in the mercy.